All right. So welcome to episode three of the Woke Antidote podcast. Uh, appreciate all the listeners here and thanks for joining the first two. So uh, I'm sports bro SB here with uh, TB tech bro and uh, TB. How have you been uh, surviving the woke world this week? <laughs> How's it going SB? It's good to be back. Uh, you know, we keep saying every week it just gets crazier and crazier. And uh, this week was certainly a hard one in the in the the woke world that we're in so we have a ton to go through uh we were we're pretty excited about what we have on tap but yeah it's great to be here so why don't you give a uh, a guest update uh and then we'll dive right in yeah sure so um we teased this in our last episode talking about bringing on a guest um again this is all part of our uh you know really our, our mission to make this a uh, a, a podcast that's inclusive of all views and viewpoints. You know, we really want people to uh, hear different sides and make their own uh, opinions on it. You know, we're not trying to give one sided view. Um, so unfortunately we have a little bit of a scheduling uh, mishap, but um, we'll have on our friend uh, in one of the coming weeks uh, once he uh, gets situated, but um yeah, he's he's definitely excited to, to join us. He's a lot to share about from his perspective, from someone who uh, he would describe himself as a classical liberal. So uh, we'll have him on really probably in the next couple of weeks. But uh, uh, for now, it's just going to be the two of us, um, you know, helping you get through this uh, this crazy uh, woke world that we're in. So maybe let's start with a Rogan update because that's been topical and I, I think there has been maybe some progress on his side, but uh, why don't you give uh, give a little bit of an update on what's been happening with him and, and your view and how he's handling it now? Yeah, so uh, it's it's crazy how the story just continues to uh, just evolve. Um, you know, I, I certainly thought that this was going to be kind of flash in the pan and we'd move on with our lives, but um, this has really uh, struck a chord on both sides of the aisle. Um, it's really come down to uh, a reflection of, you know, you know, you're defending the right to, to free speech. And, you know, when when does that stop? Um, so you have one side of the aisle who says, you know, if any speech is, uh, you know, fomenting any misinformation or things that could potentially change people's mind in a negative way, then that should be silenced. And the other side of the aisle says, you know, people should be able to listen to all viewpoints and make decisions for themselves. Um, and it's kind of a free market uh, you know, kind of principles where if people don't want to, if they don't agree with that, they're just going to tune it out. And I think it's in that latter camp where SB and I find ourselves in. You know, we think that what Joe Rogan did was simply just, you know, inviting people onto his show to have a conversation. And he brought on people from different sides of the aisle, it wasn't always one sided. Um, so, you know, in our view, it's, you know, it's a form of censorship. So we've talked about this a lot over the last two episodes. So I won't uh, beat a dead horse here, but to talk about where we stand now, uh, this is continuing to foment. Uh, we see that it last, in last week's episode, we talked about a, a hit piece, you know, a video that came together to take Rogan out with him using the N-word. Um, you know, he, and I will say, you know, when we, when we recorded last week, there was, I had just heard a little bit about it, but as I did more research and actually watched the video in its entirety, you know, my overall impression is, look, 
Um, there was thing he, he there was things that he said on there that obviously he should not have said. He made a, a very bad, uh, poor joke about uh, Planet of the Apes and comparing that to Philadelphia, I believe. Obviously, that's racist. Um, that's that's not cool. Like I, I understand that. Um, but the other times he was using those words, you know, you have to remember Joe Rogan's a comedian and a lot of comedians like to push the envelope. And a lot of the times he was using that word, quoting someone else. Um, so context is very, very important. Um, and, and, you know, what for me, my kind of takeaway is that there's a very selective outrage where uh, he's getting, you know, crucified for saying that. However, we found multiple examples of people like a Howard Stern or Jimmy Kimmel who have used those words, worn blackface in Jimmy Kimmel's uh, example, and there's not a peep from from the the woke left. So um, that's where it's it becomes very blatant and apparent to me that this is just a very one-sided type of issue where it's okay if it happens on one side, but if my political enemies do, uh, do it, I'm going to take them down. And it's just very ironic that Joe Rogan, he's not even a member of the right. He's in fact a Bernie Sanders supporter. Um, but he, you know, he, because he's even willing to talk to people on the right, he's automatically now a threat to the, the, the liberal elite. So um, yeah, this, this is continuing to, to drag on. Um, I, I keep predicting, that I think eventually Rogan will have to leave Spotify or be forced out. Um, so uh, I think we're going to, we're getting closer and closer to that because I, it's just untenable right now, but um, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on, but, um, SB kind of, uh, what's your take on this? Yeah. So I, I didn't like that he initially, he seemed like he was much more defensive. So he was kind of apologizing. Um, and I like that in recent days, it seems like he's kind of gone off that and he has gone more on the offensive and specifically he said that CNN should do a better job themselves rather than silencing him. And I thought that was such a great point because the reason that people like Rogan have gotten so popular is that CNN cannot be trusted anymore. They, the information that they give out, uh, people are interested in hearing because they're interested in hearing the truth. They're interested in hearing multiple sides of the argument. And that's exactly what Rogan provides. And he's been um, harping on when CNN just blatantly peddled false news about him taking ivermectin. So CNN specifically said that Rogan was taking horse dewormer paste. And that's not what he was doing. Yes, ivermectin can be in the form of that, but Rogan was taking cumin tablets that a lot of people take for a variety of, of ailments. So they, they, they lied about him. They had misinformation. And according to CNN's rules, uh, CNN should be out of, uh, you know, be out of media now because they, they had misinformation. So I, I liked that he said that and then I did also think what was interesting is uh, so Malone, Robert Malone, the, the mRNA scientist who was, was probably the, the guest that uh, people were mad about Rogan the most. He went on Tucker's uh, Tucker Carlson's a daytime show when he does interviews. And Malone was actually pretty critical of Rogan. And this was earlier in the week saying that Rogan should be going more on the offensive. So maybe they had a conversation. Maybe, maybe Rogan heard that. Maybe that's just naturally what Rogan was going to do. But I did find that interesting because I think wherever there is an avenue for free speech to happen, you're going to get tons and tons of listeners and tons of people interested. And if if Rogan isn't careful and if he kind of keeps bowing a little bit to the mob and not going on the offensive to preserve his podcast, does that potentially leave room for other media sources to then 
kind of take that free speech mantle. So the fact that Malone was on Tucker, I mean, maybe that's an interesting angle where that Tucker daytime show can be kind of an area for guests that Rogan might have had on one day and, and now they're not going on there. So I thought that was interesting. And, and the final point I'll, I'll say in this is that I really think that what Rogan should do is he should have on an extremely controversial guest um, within the next couple of podcasts, within the next couple of episodes um, to really silence um, the, the people that are making a big deal of this. So I'm not sure who that guest would be, but maybe he should make it a surprise to everybody. But I, I would just love to see that. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. Uh, no, you, you hit on a lot of really good points there. SB. And just to close this out with one final point on my side, um, kind of, you know, speaking of Joe Rogan and CNN, um, there was a very recent example of just journalistic activism on CNN side. I think this was released yesterday. So this is very recent uh, where they had, and again, granted it was an opinion piece, but still this is plastered on their homepage on CNN's website right now, as of, as of this recording, where this person from CNN was comparing Joe Rogan's usage of the N-word to the January 6th riots. That's right. And that, that, that is just ridiculous to me because, first of all, and look, not to go on a tangent, we, we can talk about Jan 6 on another episode when we have a lot more time. But the fact that that, that you know, Jan 6 is getting blown up when it was nothing more than, you know, a small group of morons who were just trying to cause trouble in the Capitol. And the majority of them were literally just walking around taking pictures like, yeah, we don't condone it. Again, they're morons, but let's not blow it up into something bigger than it was. And the fact that the media calls it, you know, this big, you know, debacle in, in American history and it's getting compared to 9-11 and Pearl Harbor by Kamala Harris. It's an absolute joke. But to, to kind of get back to my point, um, saying that this this video that some Democrat super PAC, you know, put together to take down Rogan because they couldn't beat him on merit and had to slander him to to take them um they're comparing that to a quote-unquote american tragedy and, and you know, a riot at our capital it's an absolute joke um again cnn is just showing their true colors it's they're activists they're not journalists no one takes them seriously and um you know i think especially for a hit piece like that you know rogan should absolutely go more on the offensive uh, you know he has every right to and i think people would feel like he's justified in doing so yeah, the irony of that CNN headline and story is that is precisely why people are flocking to Rogan instead of CNN. So, yeah, 100%. just just a joke. And, and they're just total activists. Um, but moving on here to our Woke in the Wild segment, um, you, you saw a lot of Woke in the Wild signs this week. So why don't yes. you uh, run through a few a few of the best ones? Yeah, you know, I think uh, having the pleasure of living in the greater New York City area, I get surrounded by a lot of, uh, of you know, instances of Woke in the Wild. So um, for those who are new to the podcast, Woke in the Wild is going to be a fun segment where we you know, like just to uh, kick back and just poke some fun at kind of the crazy wokeness that we see around us, you know, um, you know, so that way we're not always negative and sounds like we're complaining because the best way to cope with the craziness is to laugh at it. So uh, we had uh, quite a few instances of Woke in the Wild this week, but uh, starting with the first one, I believe this was a Monday, I was watching uh, Duke play UVA um, at Duke, and I noticed all the students were wearing masks, and they were, it, it was packed, big game, 
uh, the student section, everyone was on top of each other and yet they were all wearing masks. So then I decided to go on Twitter and just see like, you know, I wanted to see if there was pictures of uh, from people at the game so I could get more context. Like, all right, is this just kind of what the TV is showing or was this everyone? And it was hysterical where they have on their Jumbotron these instructions from Duke University saying, you know, uh, put on a mask properly and encouraging everyone to socially distance when possible. And yet you look at the crowd and everyone's wearing right on top of each other, breathing on each other, screaming in each other's faces, but they're wearing masks. So um, I did take delight in Duke losing that game. Um, you know, it's just absolute insanity. Uh, it's just super anti-science. And you would think a school of that, uh, you know, of that stature would be a little bit more logical in how they live their lives. But clearly it shows that wokeism has taken over the Duke campus there. Yeah. And I think sadly, um, it's taken over more than just the colleges because um, I've seen people, I, I follow people in the in the investment space. <clears throat> and there was a guy that I like following that he's uh, showed pictures of his son, who's maybe eight or nine years old playing basketball, and everyone's wearing masks playing basketball. So these are young <laughs> kids that have, you know, very little chance of uh, getting sick from it. And they're running up and down the court with masks on. Um that's just totally obnoxious. And then one final point before we move on to the next uh, woke, woke in the Wild. Um, I saw a interview of um, a woman who was at a counter protest to the uh, Ottawa truck truck protests. And she was doing the interview with the mask pulled down under her nose and under her mouth. And then midway through the interview, tried to bring it up to her mouth again. Yet the nose was still uncovered. So look. This COVID theater, and we'll get to this later in the pod as well, but people are over it. We're done with it. And the fact that we have to now social distance while also wearing masks in a packed stadium, um, it doesn't make sense. And it doesn't even have to make sense. This is what's going on in today's world. <laughs> Very well said. Couldn't agree more. Um, all right. So our next example of Woke in the Wild. Um, so this was actually yesterday. I was... Uh, out on a nice stroll. I like to uh, start my Saturday mornings with a walk and go into my, one of my favorite coffee shops in my town. And I saw a, uh, a sign posted right on their window that says, help wanted barista, vaccinated humans, please, expe <laughs> please experience a plus, drop resume or email. And I start cracking up where they're saying vaccinated humans as if any other life form would be applying to this place. So it seemed a little derogatory to people who are unvaccinated, uh, if you're, if we're being honest, but um, also it's just an absolute joke because I can't think of any other job where they ask you for your vaccination status. Like, Oh, did you get your flu shot? Did you get your uh, tetanus shot? Uh, <laughs> you know, things like that. They never once asked for it. And now we are in a phase of COVID where we've already hit our peak. It hit in you know, mid-December to mid-January. We are well past it now. Um, Omicron is a much lesser version of the original COVID that we had. And yet these baristas at this coffee shop are freaking out if anyone dare apply there. Uh, so yes, only vaccinated humans welcome. So if you're looking for a job, uh, I would encourage you to, to look in my town. Yeah, I have two thoughts on that. So one is that by using humans, this is just classic uh, left and, and socialists is that they're always trying to perverse the language. So if you can say human here, 
Um, if you can say pregnant person instead of pregnant woman. I mean, these are the things that that is typically done in these woke societies to make people, you know, even more flustered. So that's funny. And then the second point is that, look, the companies like Starbucks and, you know, you see this driving through McDonald's drive through or, or what have you. They are looking for people because it, it turns out that people actually didn't like working for these companies that much. And they have to they have to now raise the hourly wage up a pretty significant amount in order to get people. And so by requiring vaccination in this period of the pandemic, as you said, it's just another negative on these companies not um, employing people. So, you know, we've right. seen a lot of these unemployment stats where not many people have joined, joined the workforce again. I think a lot of that is um, working conditions like this where, no, you know, Starbucks is not going to get a lot of people applying for that position, clearly. So I, right. uh, it's kind of uh, classic to see it. Um, and it, it is also funny because Starbucks is very much known for being um, a very woke corporation. So it's, um, it's no <laughs> surprise that, that you saw that out there. Yeah, you know, I, it actually wasn't a Starbucks. It was just a small mom and pop shop. Um, and, you know, I think uh, what I like to say about people with kind of a conservative ideology is that it's going there. I like their coffee. They have a good product just because they have different politics than me. I'm not going to boycott them and freak out. You know, if only uh, that type of thinking was returned on the other side. But um, again, that's a discussion for another time, but just want to make a little note of that. Now, um, are you, are you potentially going to uh, boycott um, NPR? <laughs> well, this was this was this one made me absolutely crack up. Um, this was a fantastic one. Uh, so there was a I saw a tweet from NPR that was saying that um, emojis apparently are a reflection of racism and white privilege, depending on what type of emoji you're using. So uh, specifically, they were calling out the the default yellow thumbs up icon. Um, you know, I'm, I text people all the time. Sometimes I'm just texting fast and I don't, you know, take the time to select what, you know, skin tone my um, my thumbs up is going to be. It's easier for me to click it um, and then move on with whatever I'm saying. But according to NPR, that is now a reflection of you denying your white privilege. So uh, by using this default thing, then you're kind of you know, putting yourself into the minority group and you're kind of shielding yourself from the white privilege that you should be acknowledging. So um, I'll make sure to keep that in mind when I'm using my emojis and texting my friends from now on. Yeah. And what's so funny about this is that it has, is anyone complaining about this? Because <laughs> I, I, I don't know. And, you know, personally, I've never felt the need to actually have a white um, emoji. I mean, I just, because you can click it and you, you know, you get the several types, but look, it's, like I'm white, I'm not yellow, dark yellow, which is the emoji. So is that a negative, right? Should I be looking at that and saying, well, that, you know, doesn't, um, you know, I, I'm not that color and I'm not saying that. So yeah, it's just another one of these um, overly complicated issues where, um, you know, it's sort of like the the okay sign has, has been deemed a white supremacist signal because maybe one white supremacist at one point over the last several years deemed it that. And then all of a sudden we can't say that. So maybe, um, maybe we should just say the thumbs up is a white supremacist signal from now on. And then no one will end up using it and we won't have an emoji problem. Yeah, SB, why, why stop there? I think we should just not use emojis at all. Let's not even risk the chance of, of doing anything like that. Uh, well, I'll just, uh, 
you know, I'll just keep my mouth shut and you can just read my mind and find out what I'm trying to say to you. And I'll be safer that way. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a minefield out there not to be, uh, not to be seen as, uh, anti-woke, but yeah, so that, so that's what we have for this week of the woke in the wild, but certainly for all the listeners, um, you can send in submissions to us if you are interested, um, on our Twitter account and it, the, yep. the Twitter account is simply, um, the woke antidote. So that's labeled the woke antidote podcast. But if you pop in the username, the woke antidote, um, we've been tweeting out there and, um, would happen, would be happy to, uh, feature you on the next podcast. If your uh, submission is woke enough. We, yes, the, please send them our way. Um, I'm going to share one final one just because this is, you know, we're recording the morning of the Super Bowl and, you know, we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about the Super Bowl later on this podcast, but there was a great Super Bowl uh, themed wokeism that we saw uh, today, actually. So this is from, uh, I'm, uh, apologies if I'm mispronouncing his name, but it's Noam Scheiber. <laughs> Me to world. Who do you want to win? The Bengals or the Rams? Eight-year-old. What difference does it make? It's not like the winner's going to solve climate change. Super Bowl weekend and the Scheiber Sullivan household got heavy real quick. Dot, dot, dot. I'll take things that never happened for 2000. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, right? Like, I mean, are they they serious here? I made these tweets where people say like, oh, my four-year-old kid was crying about the wage gap in America. Like, (laughs) these, these kids are having these just uh these moments of reflection and being very introspective about you know you know global politics uh so i love when when people make this up and just reading through the people call them out so um just wanted to fit that one in there that's a great example if you see any crazy tweets like that please share that with us we'd love to have a good laugh and and share it on the podcast yeah so now we'll um we'll we'll wade into politics here. So we don't do the we don't do this throughout the whole pod, but when when politics news comes up, we'll discuss it. And there was just a fantastic poll um this week released that I think really captured um the essence of of the country under the the Biden administration, or some would say the Brandon administration. <laughs> so the CNN poll they they asked the question, "What has Biden done that you approve of?" And fifty six percent of people said they didn't approve of anything. And this is just, I mean, of course, I completely agree, but um, to, 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 to follow up the rest of the poll, 15% economy, um, I'm not really sure what they're, what they're thinking there. Um, we're, we're not doing so hot. Um, 6% COVID, surprising, it could have even been lower because of uh, he has not taken the, the virus under control. 4% personal traits, which, I mean, maybe they're living a couple decades ago because I think Joe is a, a lot more ornery than he used to be. And then we finally got 4% foreign policy, which, look, 4% foreign policy, that might be 0% in a week or two if we actually get into war with Russia. So, yeah, th- this captures precisely what's going on. I mean, there's one crisis to another in this administration. And I was reflecting on this the other day that I remember under Trump that they, the media would always be accusing the Trump administration of being in crisis. Oh, someone resigned or Trump's in crisis with uh, Kim Jong-un or Putin. You know, there there would always be something. And in reality, you know, they, they were really um, exaggerating a lot of that and probably making up some fake news, right? Making up some unnamed source fake quote. And then when you think about Biden, it's actually the opposite, where 
he has one, you know, one tragedy after another that he has to deal with, one disaster after another. And yet, according to the media, you know, nothing's wrong. Hey, the, the border, nah, no worries. Afghanistan, don't even want to talk about it anymore. War with Russia, well, you know what? There's nothing that Biden could do to defuse the situation. So it's, it's just so funny that this is what the media is going with to try to protect this guy. But, you know, look, 56%. 56% say they approve of nothing, you know, is the real number higher? Is the real number 30% approval rating, maybe 25%? I mean, I, it's just hard to see anyone who's, who is uh, supporting this guy by this point. <laughs> I mean, that's be like, again, just to uh, emphasize this, this was a CNN poll. So you know that they were trying <laughs> their hardest to cast this in a positive light or, you know, help you know, with the numbers a little bit, but geez, I mean, that is terrible. And we talked about, uh, I think in our first episode, actually, like what are Biden's actual approval numbers? And we were speculating, like there's a very good chance that we're actually looking at mid 20, upper, upper 20 approval rating for him. So uh, yeah, that not, not good news for him at all. Um, so that's actually segues greatly into um, our next segment uh, where, you know, Suddenly now, uh, on the heels of polls like this, all of a sudden, a lot of blue states and, you know, politicians on the left are now having this moment of clarity. Now we can finally open up. The skies are, are opening up. The heavens are opening up. And no more mask mandates. No more vaccination requirements. Um, you know, it's as if all the things that we've been saying for the past year and a half just suddenly dawned on them. Um, but they won't let you remember that. They'll, they'll claim that. Yeah, they've always been saying this or the science, quote unquote, has changed. So I uh, just thought that was uh, an interesting reflection of kind of the polls that we're seeing nowadays. So SB, what, what's your take on it? Yeah, so I think you hit on it exactly. And I think the best example of this is that uh, Dr. Liana Wen. Um, so she's the Asian American woman that is constantly on, been on CNN and she was formerly the uh, CEO of Planned Parenthood. And basically everyone knows who this woman is because they've seen the clips where she has been in favor of the most intense mandates. Um, I think at one point she was arguing for the unvaccinated not being able to fly. Um, she's been in favor of masks for, you know, four-year-olds, three-year-olds talking about getting her um, her children the the vaccine whenever they could when they were very young. So she has been been the most gung-ho about all the issues. And now just one week ago, she then does the complete 180. And it's just incredible because, like you said, they they will not admit that they were wrong and, and they will just make up something new. So in this case, it's the science changed. But I mean, we've seen this in other avenues that, that um, a lot of liberals do, too. They're trying to claim um, things that didn't happen. And I thought Ted Cruz had a great tweet about this. He said, it's just a matter of time before Jen Psaki tries to claim it was Republicans who wanted forced masks on kids. And mm -hmm. they're going to try this because they, they tried doing this with the defund the police. They were huge into that. And then all of a sudden when it was polling poorly, it was, oh, Republicans were the ones that really wanted to defund the police. So they really <laughs> try to do this so often. And I, I think at a certain point, it kind of becomes too much whipsawing for the average person. And they go, wait, no, like I, I, I very much know that AOC and the crew were defund the police or I very <laughs> much I, I've watched this Liana Wen before and she's been intense about the mandate. So I, I think because they're so egregious now, 
it has to be waking people up that wouldn't have otherwise seen it. A hundred percent. Yeah, that <laughs> we not to pat our, our backs too hard here, but um, uh, SB and I, we, we've we've definitely have taken pride in kind of being ahead of uh, the, the political narrows that are coming up. And uh, we've done that a couple of times already since starting the podcast. But a great example of that was we were predicting that the spin zone was going to be coming where they were going to say that, you know, the Republican Party under Trump, they were the ones who started the lockdowns. And now them uh, under the, the great leadership of Joe Biden, they are opening everything up and they are t- getting this out of this pandemic. They're, they were going to change that narrative. So Ted Cruz's tweet, which came out uh, shortly after we had that conversation, um, that's uh, he's exactly on point. That's kind of what we're doing. We're already starting to see the, uh, the, the narrative shift in this direction, but I think we're going to see it a lot more explicitly now where they're going to be taking credit for this, um, even though we know that they were the ones who prolonged all of this and went to such an extreme that was unnecessary, defied all, all science, was illogical. Um, but, you know, they're going to try to claim a victory because those midterms are coming up. And like we said, those polling numbers look horrible and we're anticipating a, a huge uh, Republican victory. So they're going to try to do whatever they can to save face between now and then. Yeah. And, and to finish up on this, speaking of extreme, um, one of the most extreme cities was the Boston was in Boston, where the Boston mayor um, had the vaccine mandate for indoors. And I, I thought it was great this week when there was the live stream um, in talking with her uh, citizens of Boston. And she seemed shocked that there was a lot of comments on that live stream that were anti-vax uh, mandate, anti-mask mandate. And I think it shows that a lot of these people in positions of power, they are pretty sheltered. And I mean, the, the classic example of this was when Joe Biden got the uh, the Christmas Eve call and said, let's go, Brandon, um, when someone uh, asked him uh, and cheered him on, said, let's go, Brandon. So I think Joe Biden, he's not even aware he's not being given the information that let's go what let's go, Brandon actually means. And I think people like the Boston mayor they might actually not know um, how unpopular their policies are because they're not among the people. They're not out there and, and hearing the citizens' concern. So I thought that was great that um, she was shocked like that, that she actually maybe actually realized that, hey, um, we, we did some things here that people really didn't like. So I'm, I'm hoping that, that that can get reduced um, at some point soon. But yeah, mo- moving on to the, uh, the sports corner here. Um, we, we got Olympics going on and I don't know about you TB, but uh, are you watching much Olympics? <laughs> not at all. Um, I'm really not. The only game I actually watched was, uh, I believe it was Friday night. I just happened to be at a bar and they were showing the, uh, America, uh, Canadian hockey game. So I'm, I'm a, I'm a big hockey fan. So I was watching that then, but it, again, it was just because I happened to be on at the bar that I was at. Um, uh, but Overall, no. Um, I've had zero interest in the Olympics for quite a while, actually, uh, all the way going back to the last one. Um, you know, it, granted, you know, the time zones certainly don't help at all, but um, I, I certainly just feel like there's like kind of a, a lack of pride, uh, a national pride in, in America uh, that used to be, you know, encompassed in the Olympics. And I remember as a kid, you know, watching Olympics, being proud to be an American. It was like kind of one time the entire country united together and everyone was excited. Uh, but we don't have that anymore. Uh, I feel like, you know, the Olympics have gotten very politicized and it just makes for a poor product. You know, if I'm not going to be, if I'm not going to feel pride in the people representing our country and if the people representing our country hate our country, 
why am I going to watch them? So, um, you know, that's just my, that's, again, that's just my, uh, perspective, but I feel like that's shared by, by a lot of people. I mean, the ratings generally to your point are, are, are pretty poor right now. Yeah, they're, they're down 50% plus. I, I totally agree with you. And I think that the way that the ratings drop is being explained, um, there's a couple theories out there, the official theory. So yeah, like you mentioned it, the time zone, um, there's the theory that China in general is an issue and people aren't watching because of that. Um, the human rights uh, potential abuse is there. So that, that um, makes sense. And then I think there's also a, a thought that, oh, maybe there's some Olympics fatigue because we had the summer ones in 20, 2021. So this comes soon after that. And, you know, I think those two might um, each have a little bit, but I really do think it's the lack of pride of the country that's contributing the most. Um, and I, I think what's so frustrating is that so much of what the media and what the politicians do is divide us in the country. And it's, it's really hard to have um, a huge cheering interest for uh, your country when it's constantly being torn down. Um, we're divided. Uh, we're, we're told that America is this terrible country. Um, we don't have that national pride. Like kids are taught um, that we have a, a terribly racist past and that we're really not good people and we have to t atone for this. So I think that's a shift. And I also think like, look, I think we're both we're both pretty reasonable people. Um, we do lean conservative, but I think there's a there's a decent um, percentage of people out there on, on the far left that they that they want to share a country with us. I mean, they they really seem like they strongly dislike people um, that have views like us. Um, and so it's it's really hard that, you know, some of those people are on the Olympic stage. Um, but just in general, it's hard to be rooting for a country like this. And it pains me to say this because I, I want to have national pride. I want the U.S. to come together. Um, when you when you said that as a kid, I I thought back to that um, after 9-11, Bush had that perfect strike when he yep. threw out the first pitch at the World Series that year. And it seemed like the country was so close and everybody was rooting for him. And it didn't matter that he was Republican. It wouldn't have mattered if he was Democrat. Everyone came together. And I, we've just lost that. And, and I don't really know how we get it back. Um, but we were a, a far way gone from where we used to be. Yeah. I mean, I think this speaks to sports in general. Um, the Olympics are just kind of a more obvious uh, example of it. But I up until recently, I can't think of once ever even asking or you know, caring what the political views are of the athletes I was watching. Like, I could care less, you know, Mariano Rivera is an example. One of my favorite players of all time, probably one of the greatest Yankees of all time, uh, certainly the greatest closer of all time. And I, I don't know what his political views are. I have actually, I, I know he's pretty religious. I would probably, you know, thinking out loud here, I'd probably guess he probably leans right. But if he was left, I could care less. Like, that's fine. That doesn't impact me. Like, I can, I still respect him as being a great athlete and that's, and, you know, politics shouldn't be involved. And I don't see anything wrong with that. You know, you know, it, nowadays, if we find out an athlete is conservative, that person is boycotted. They, they're not mm -hmm. welcome. Uh, people will, will protest and say, oh, I'm not going to watch them or you have to kick them off the team. Um, you know, and again, like we, we've talked about this before, but, there's been very outspoken liberal athletes and yeah, I don't agree with them, but Hey, I, they're great athletes. I really enjoy watching them. I can separate my personal feelings away from 
my general respect for I, I have him as a professional athlete. And I think that's been lost on us. Uh, politics has now invaded every part of our lives when sports used to be that one escape where we could all just enjoy together, regardless of what aisle that you're on. Yeah, and and we have a, a fun game coming up tonight as we're recording this right before the Super Bowl. But before we get to our predictions and um, gambling outlooks, uh, are you ready for some woke Super Bowl commercials? <laughs> uh, I actually was just talking about this with friends earlier today. Um, yeah, I, I feel like we're going to see a lot of it um, this Super Bowl. We certainly did over the past year or two, but I think we're going to see it to another level. Um you know, we got the midterms coming up. Uh, you know, we got, I, I imagine we might see some stuff about, you know, vaccination. Um, but yeah, it, it, Super Bowl commercials are not, they're not funny anymore. Uh, I used to remember like growing up, just laughing, like looking forward to the Super Bowl commercials, even more than the game. And like, wow, I'm really going to be entertained and get a good laugh. Uh, and that doesn't happen anymore. They're like kind of cringy, usually a lecture about something. Um you know, they, they're kind of like trying to play it safe in this PC world. So what we see is a very watered down product um, where brands are edgy to offend anyone. They're kind of just, you know, just giving you a, just a very basic commercial. And then, you know, if they do do anything edgy, it's going to be leaning into what the mainstream narrative says, because they know they'll be they'll be safe there. So, uh, yeah, I'm not expecting, you know, sadly, I'm not expecting any good commercials tonight. Yeah, I think the the one thing that would be fun to look out for is what company goes over the top on the wokeness. So are there <laughs> going to be some that and I think back to I forget if this was a Super Bowl commercial or not, but there was the Pepsi commercial where I think one of the Kardashians or Kendall Jenner um, was right. offering a, a Pepsi to the protesters or to the police or something. So I think people probably remember that one, but just something there's got to be at least one company that just goes so overly woke that even even people on the left go, all right, that was a little bit much. So for our predictions today, um, Nike will be the one. So if uh, if Nike is the one that has the most over the top woke commercial, um, definitely let uh, let your family know that the woke antidote podcast was on it. <laughs> Maybe we should start the. Uh, the woke in the wild uh, award and uh, we'll have some few nominations, but I'm willing to bet a Nike commercial will be one of our contenders by the end of the year. Nice. All right. So let's actually get, get into the game here. Um, you know, fun, fun matchup. We've talked about it over the last couple of weeks. This should be a good one. I, you know, I'm just rooting for a good game here. Um, mm -hmm. What are you feeling for the matchup and are there any potential bets you like? So, I've been thinking a lot about this. My brain is telling me that the Rams should win this somewhat comfortably. I feel like they will cover the four and a half. I haven't placed my bet yet, but gun to head, I would probably do that. Um, and the reason why um, I look at looking at the, the Bengals playoff run, you know, they they took advantage of teams really playing down and making mistakes. So we saw in the Titans, you know, Tannehill basically gave that game away. And even still, the Titans still almost won. Uh, the Chiefs, they just got in their own way and made a lot of mistakes. But, you know, even with their relatively weak defense, they were after Burrow pretty much all game. Um, the Bengals O-line is pretty weak. So now you look at a much, much more uh, better defense, probably the best in the league. 
combine that with, you know, Cooper Cup, you know, Odell Beckham, Stafford is playing out of his mind. Um, I think on paper, the Rams should win this one comfortably. But then, you know, I, what the Bengals are doing, you know, it reminds me as, as a Giants fan, uh, again, not to rub salt in the wounds here for USC. <laughs> oh, here it comes. <laughs> but it, it reminds me of their 07 run when they were a very average team and they just got hot at the right time and very lucky at the right time. And they just kind of had that team of destiny feeling to them. And I just get that feeling with this Bengals team. I don't know why. Like, it's hard for me to, like, bet against them. So, yeah, again, I think we'll win. But, you know, I'm really hoping that the the Bengals continue this magical ride because it's been great for the sport, frankly. So, uh, I, regardless, I think it's going to be a great game. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. So, so what's funny is that we, we did not talk about this before we recorded, but I feel pretty much the same exact way as you. Um, I totally agree. <laughs> and what I'm what I'm eyeing for an angle here on potentially betting and, and betting in game, which which I know you you are a fan of, is yep. if I'm looking at how these teams have played. Um, remember that the the final Tom Brady game, the Rams went up pretty um, high, um, and they they were you know it it was almost like a potential Atlanta. Falcons 28 to three situation 2.0 mm-hmm. where the Rams got, you know, they were doing really well. And then all of a sudden the offense wasn't, wasn't working that much. and The defense gave up a lot. And then if I think about the Bengals, well, they kind of had the opposite situation um, against the chiefs where they totally fell behind. And then they were able to, you know, catch up with ease with um, their all-star offense. So that's kind of what I'm eyeing today is that, Maybe the Bengals start out a little slow. You get Stafford, maybe a couple deep bombs to OBJ and Cup, and then all of a sudden they're up, you know, 17-3 with uh, the defense doing well. And then throughout the game, they they take the foot off the gas pedal in both the offense and the defense. Uh, Burrow connects with Chase on, you know, a nice slant over the middle that turns into 70 yards. And then all of a sudden we got ourselves a game. So in that situation, I'd be eyeing some in-game betting if the Bengals fell behind. And I, I think I'm, I think I'm taking the Bengals with the points here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's a fun bet. I, yeah, I, I, like I said, I'm very conflicted. I will likely just do a live bet. Um, I so I saw the line was four and a half. I actually think we might see that go over, frankly. Uh, I know a lot of people are predicting a slugfest and to be low scoring. But to your point, I think we can see some quick scoring and, and some batches, uh, you know, at some, at some spikes. So, you know, if we see something where we're halfway into the second quarter, the score is very low, um, you know, for sub 10 points or just a, you know, a hair above that, maybe I'll do a live over overplay there, but um, it's really hard for me to make a pregame bet right now. So nice. Well, we, we uh, swear that, when we get this podcast out, we did not um, re- record this after. So if all of what I just said in my prediction plays out, I, we we swear that this happened before the game. <laughs> I know. That's kind of like our <laughs> fallback from recording on Sundays. But uh, yes, we uh, again, we're not we're not experts by any means. But, you know, this is our third episode and. I feel like we've been two for two on our predictions so far. So, uh, hey, maybe we're we should move into a sports podcast at this rate. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. So to uh, to finish up here, uh, financial markets update. 
Bitcoin, you know, that's something that we started talking about Bitcoin on the first podcast and we were maybe like mid 37K and we're up 5K since then. So we reached uh, 45K per coin a couple of days ago. It's been down a little bit, but um, we're getting increased Russian news with Bitcoin. So it's been interesting where uh, the government came out um, and reached an agreement with the central bank to uh, treat Bitcoin and crypto as currencies. Um, so that's a huge change of pace from what Russia had previously said that they were thinking of banning it. Um, so if you if you co combine that with the with Russia saying they'd be into mining and um, there already is uh, Bitcoin mining going in there, um, it could get very interesting um, with Russia because the U.S. is is probably sanctioning Russia the most with um, the U.S. dollar, and so Russia potentially has the most to gain from adopting Bitcoin. So now we have we already have tense relations between the two countries um, in general. Then if we're throwing in Bitcoin into the mix with this potential Russia-Ukraine conflict, I mean, a, a lot of things could happen here. So, so we're certainly long-term bullish on it, but potentially prepare for some volatility here. Yep, yep, that's right. Um, SB and I have shared this before. We kind of spread out our investments in Bitcoin versus, you know, versus just making uh you know heavy investments uh we we like to uh diversify and just kind of uh protect the risk that we're taking by doing kind of what we call you know what people call dollar co cost averaging so i still i still think we should do that but um i actually think there's some really good buying opportunities i do expect there to be some more volatility i think we will see the price drop back into the 30s just again because of the what we're seeing in russia and ukraine that will kind of spook out some uh, investors on a global scale. So maybe in the short term, we see some pain there. But hey, if you're a long term believer like us, like that's a fantastic op buying opportunity. So, you know, from a you know an investment side, purely, we would welcome something like that. Obviously, not in a political <laughs> sense. But um, but yeah, if you're looking to make some Bitcoin plays, I, that could be that could certainly be a move. Um, yeah, you know, we, I actually have some we call thought. it DCA is the way that, that's right. Cue the the Boba Fett uh, meme, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I actually um, you know, I, I kind of have a theory here. And again, SB, you're way more educated in Bitcoin than me, so I'm not saying this with any uh, you know, intense research or expertise here. But I think stemming from this Russia Ukraine ordeal, we do see Germany um, being friendly towards Russia. Um, mm -hmm. they're certainly not taking like a strong stance against them. Um, you know, in terms of sanctions or anything like that. So maybe as part of this, maybe we see some Bitcoin friendliness from Germany as well, if Russia's going in this direction. So maybe that's the next big player to, to get involved. I love it. Maybe, uh, a, a big, maybe, a, a gas trade in Bitcoin instead of us dollars. Let's, uh, let's yep. see that. But yeah, I think what's what's interesting, I, a lot of uh, the Bitcoin believers, they've been they've been wanting Bitcoin to outperform stocks. So basically, it's it's been very correlated recently. So uh, Bitcoin is seen as an asset that does well when risk assets do well. So that's when stocks do well, when tech stocks do well. Bitcoin's been doing well. And the the really the key or the, the shot heard around the, the investing world would be if Bitcoin can be viewed as sort of the risk off store value where, oh, wow, if there's a potential currency crisis, you shift out of US dollars, you shift out of Vlad Am currencies or Russian currencies that aren't doing well, 
and you shift into Bitcoin. So that's what I'm always keeping a close eye on is I, I watch the news come in and we'll see what happens with um, with Bitcoin versus stocks. So, for example, on Friday afternoon, when there was news that, wow, Russia might actually be invading Ukraine, stocks totally tanked um, like three percent. The Nasdaq and Bitcoin was also down a couple percent. Um, but I think that's an improvement from what it historically was, where if stocks were down 3% in one day, Bitcoin would be down 10% plus. So I think right. we're already kind of, we've moved, uh, you know, over a step, we've moved to the second step of, it's not like a 3x levered um, tech ETF, Bitcoin isn't, it's not moving three times the amount, it's moving in line, and I want to see it start outperforming um, and doing well. Um, in times where maybe people are saying, look, I'm going to sell stocks because I think there's a lot of risk there and I'll invest in Bitcoin for the slower value aspect. So that's yep. what I'm really, really looking at. Um, and then I did want to make the point, too, that um, it's been a very big topic on on Tucker's uh, Carlson show where he's been talking about using Bitcoin to donate to the uh, Canadian truckers um, because GoFundMe was basically shut down. So that money um, did not get to the truckers. And so. You know, this it's why we're bullish on Bitcoin, where in one sense, there's this very great store of value um, opportunity where it, it could gain a lot of uh, gain a lot of believers that way. But there's also the the funding issue where this is basically freedom money. Um, and, and that's why a lot of people on the on the right, actually, Ted Cruz is, is another example. Um, people on the right are kind of embracing Bitcoin as this uncensorable money. And so mm -hmm. it has that going forward as well. It's got a lot of positives. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, I, it was interesting too. I saw, um, I don't know what his exact title is or what the equivalent would be um, in America, um, you know, but maybe uh, this, this, whoever it was, he was in charge of the police force um, uh, for Canada. And he was basically, or it may have even been like the Ottawa police chief, someone high up in the, in the justice system there. He was saying that, they'll be tracking any donations sent by Americans over to Russia, uh, to, uh, to Canada rather. Wow. Um, so, you know, it's, it's something like that too, where it's like, okay, um, if I don't know what they could do, um, or are they going to do extra rent for donating to this, this, uh, this protest. But, um, again, like, I think like, okay, if you're going to start tracking us, then we'll just use Bitcoin. Um, it's kind of our safe haven. So, um yeah very very interesting development there and it's cool it's pretty cool to see bitcoin now becoming involved in such a a big social movement going on yeah it's it's in the national conversation and it's why um you know it's grown from this magic internet money meme um several years ago where you know people were paying each other tens of thousands of bitcoin for a pizza or they were using it to buy drugs in the early 2010s on on silk road um, it's really evolved in a, in a short period of time. And, and I think that's what that's important to get across to people that are new to the space is that, look, gold became money thousands of years ago. It didn't become universally known as the best form of money in 10 years. So what Bitcoin has done in 10 years is incredibly impressive. But this is just the start. Potentially, we could have a long way to go here. So going from, you know, a couple years ago is probably more speculation to now. Bitcoin really could be in the middle of some huge ge geopolitical um, issues. You know, this is this is something that even if you're not investing, I think everybody needs to have some sort of knowledge about what it is. A hundred percent. I really do think we're very early on. And 
SB, I'm curious, like what you think here, but I, I, I'm curious what the percentage uh, of Americans, uh, not, not even a global scale, let's just focus on America here, but what, what percentage of America, of Americans do you think own Bitcoin right now? I'm, I venture to guess it's st still relatively low. So I, I, I think we're still very early into uh, Bitcoin here. Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up because in in one of the interviews this week, Tucker had on a um, a a guy that's the the founder of a, a kind of like a pro crypto lobbying group that um you know is looking out for bad legislation um, against Bitcoin and crypto, and he mentioned um, that he believes he thinks that Bitcoin and crypto is going to be a pretty massive political issue even as soon as th as this election, and he said that's because 30 to 40 million people. Um, in his estimation, owns some form of Bitcoin or crypto. So, you know, yeah. certainly not half the country, 30 to 40 million of, of a 330 million is 10%, but that's a pretty big voting block. And what he was making the point of is that he is a single issue voter. So he will he will be going forward um, that are pro Bitcoin and he a significant amount of 30 to 40 million, they're going to be single issue voters. So I do think it's new. I think it's growing. And certainly um, it's it's not only going to be factoring into international relations, it very well could be factoring into our political, um, domestic political um, relations, you know, as, as soon as a few months from now in, in 2022 midterms. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the parties adapt to this. Um, if they realize that Bitcoin's not going anywhere. And to your point, it's becoming a major uh, voting issue for for Americans. So, you know, I think right now what we're seeing from the current administration, they seem to be relatively anti-Bitcoin. They certainly are trying to crack down on it and regulate it more and really tax it. So it becomes almost prohibitive to invest in it in a meaningful way. So I'd venture to guess the the Democrat Party will continue to lean negatively against Bitcoin, at least at least in the short term. Um, but when we look at the Republican Party, um, President Trump was actually, ironically, pretty anti-Bitcoin as well. Um, I, personally, I think that might be more of like a boomer mentality of just not understanding what it is and just saying, okay, this this seems foreign. Like, uh, why why are we investing in this? And let's get rid of it for that for that reason. But you know, it, it seems that gen overall, the Republican Party is more pro-Bitcoin or at least you know amenable to it. So if we do see a return of Trump in 2024, I wonder if he'll pivot with the times or if he'll still be anti-Bitcoin. But um, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to become a much more important issue for voters going forward. And either party would be wise to adapt to that. Yeah. And speaking of Ted Cruz, so this this tweet and this video came out uh, just a couple hours ago. He, he said, why does Elizabeth Warren hate Bitcoin? For the same reason that Xi in China hates Bitcoin, because neither of them can control it. So <laughs> That's he, right. he seems like he's getting it. Tucker on the right is getting it. Um, and so, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see Trump. You know, Trump, he <laughs> he doesn't like it because he at least understood that it was competing with the U.S. dollar and gold. And if you search Trump and gold, um, he's actually favored returning to a gold standard. This is, you know, way before he became president, but he's talked about that. And he also nominated um, a woman called Judy Shelton. Um, and she had she she nominated her to the Federal Reserve Board. Um, she was voted down because she holds unorthodox views compared to a lot of the economists there. 
Um, but she's favored to return to the gold standard previously. And she seems very much open to Bitcoin now. So I mm. think that that is a good sign. I would like to see his views evolve on that. Um, but then certainly you could have someone like DeSantis, if he runs in 24 over Trump, um, the Miami mayor, who's one of the most popular politicians in the state beyond DeSantis, he's very pro Bitcoin. And, and, and Miami is a city with um, tons of crypto people. So potentially DeSantis would get it as well. So yeah, it, it, it will be very curious to see. And maybe it's not 22, but maybe it is 24 where there's going to be a major political debate that tens of millions of Americans turn into. And people are going to be looking to basically uh, out Bitcoin each other. Um, I'll, I'll remember <laughs> when um, when it was Cory Booker versus Pete Buttigieg on who is going to speak the most Spanish in the Democrat <laughs> debates. Maybe on the Republican stage, it's going to be who says they like Bitcoin the most. That clip of uh, 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 <laughs> that clip the, the of bulging uh, eyes. Oh my! Yeah, him trying to speak Spanish it is hysterical. Um, that, that's an old timer. So thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah. Well, hey, I think we we covered a lot today. Uh, you know, there's there's so many topics uh, rolling around in this woke world. So. We had some fun uh, covering those. And um, again, definitely do not be shy. Um, find us on Twitter at The Woke Antidote and um, shoot us your uh, Woke in the Wild. You could throw a hashtag on that as well. Um, follow us for updates. And yeah, T TB, you want to close us out here? Yeah. No, we, we're having a lot of fun putting this together. This is only our third episode, but um, we really want to engage with our with our audience more. Um, I think that's going to be a big part of the, the success of this podcast. So definitely follow us on Twitter. Send us those woke in the wild submissions. But hey, even send us feedback. Like, what are we what are we doing right? What could we be doing better? Um, that would certainly be welcome. And you know, if you're someone who's listening in who disagrees with us or think you have some interesting perspective to share. Um, let's have a conversation. You know, maybe we'll we'll have you on the show as a guest uh, at some point. But um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. We really are hoping to engage with all of you, and um, yeah, looking forward to continuing this uh, this ride. All right. Well, I think that'll do it for episode three, and uh, hopefully, you guys survive the next week in this woke world. And we'll see you back uh, next week. <laughs> Take care, everyone. <laughs>